Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Sean, it's that time of year. Yeah. Time There's to only... clean, up, <laughs> clean out our curling lockers. Yeah. And uh, bid farewell to the season. How, how are you? Yeah, the season it? is wrapping up. Uh, it's been interesting. I, I did clear out my locker over at the Ottawa Curling Club on Thursday night. Uh, There's nothing left. In there, Scott even took the lock off, as was, I believe, the instruction last year. I have no idea if that was the instruction this year, but we, Uh, I I don't know, I've done, I've left it on before, but last year she asked us to take it off, so I did. So who who knows? But yeah, the season's done, Scott. Uh, For us at the recreational level, the club championship is currently going on. Uh, Just missed it by a hair this year. Just a hair. Just a hair. Uh, but you know, we had a good, a good game in our last went out on a win. So hope to carry those positive vibes over to next season. Yeah. So I tallied up, I keep a spreadsheet. I started doing this a few years ago, so I have uh, done the tally. It's gotten the games in which I participated this season. I went 19 and 11 in the 30 games in which I played. Not bad. Yeah, I'll, I'll certainly take that. And when I tallied up the totals for those games, teams that I was on scored 200 points right on the button and gave up 158 points for a plus 42 differential. So overall, I, I think that's pretty doggone good for the season. Analytics tell me that's pretty good. Yeah, so no, uh, no complaints there. But yes, the season is done for us the season not quite done for all those teams competing at the highest level a couple of events just wrapped up a couple of events one has already started another one is getting set to kick off this week but scott i I wanted to talk about the mixed doubles in some detail but before we get to that let's just wrap up the seniors real quick the world senior curling championship wrapped up in geneva same city as the mixed doubles championship on the women's side you would never guess who would win a women's world championship Uh, it is the swiss Uh, the domination of swiss women extends to the 50 plus bracket as well they knock off the field sherry anderson was going for yet another World Senior Championship was unable to do it. Uh, so congratulations to Switzerland, the Americans, and the Scots round out the podium on the women's side. On the men's side, Canada does capture a world championship this season. They beat the Czechs in the gold medal game. Sweden comes out with the bronze in what, uh, from all accounts, was a pretty good game against Germany in that bronze medal game. A couple other things just uh, I wanted to note, or one other thing I wanted to note, Belgium in Group C on the men's side, four and two. Jerry actually emailed us after their first two games that they split, and uh, he said, hey, we're, we're encouraged. We're looking forward to the, the rest of the week. We, we think we have a chance here, and they did, uh, obviously, going four and two. They miss out on the playoffs because they lost to Scotland 
And that was the tie break for the third position there out of Group C. So uh, that would have gotten them the guaranteed spot in there out of the Group C. And then in terms of the third place finishers, they were tied with both Italy and Switzerland at four and two. And on the last shot draw, the way I read this, they were third out of the third place team, so missed out. But great week for Belgium. Always fun to see mm-hmm. different teams in there uh, doing well. But uh, So that, that's just a bit of summary of the seniors. Did you see anything over the course of the week, Scott, that you wanted to mention as well? Well, uh, not specifically, but the, the Czechs were also four and two and came out of that mess of tie breaks uh, uh, to go on and capture the silver medal. So yeah. uh, it truly was anybody's game once you got to the playoffs. So... Uh, good showing there by Team Belgium and uh, all the all the players and all the teams. Nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we see uh, a bit more balance next year where we have some more women's teams participate. Again, it's an open event, so anybody can register a team, any member association. Uh, so hopefully we get to see that. And again, congrats to the champions. The other event that did just wrap up, as mentioned, the Mixed Doubles world championship scotland rides tall again but this time it's bobby lamley and eve muirhead capturing the gold medal a double gold season for eve muirhead scott is that a better season for eve muirhead than nicodine's double gold i think that you know she didn't get the chance to play in the women's world so uh, I don't think it's better than uh, four-person gold medals, but it's like if it's uh, a podium, it's not a full second-place podium. It's like halfway up towards the, the number one. It's really, really good. Um, and Bobby Lammy, uh, a great year for him being part of Bruce Mowat's team. He's uh, Eve called him the best sweeper in the world. Uh, one of her post-game press conferences, and uh, he's not a bad shot maker too. I'll say yeah. that. So uh, big, big, uh, big time win for them, and playing against uh, Sven Michel and Alina Pats, uh, a tough duo in in those two. So uh, no small feat to win uh, this championship. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Uh, really good run for them. <laughs> I would say when you don't lose, you've had a pretty good week. Good uh, you know, yeah. yeah. So uh, good job by them. Congratulations to Lammy and Muirhead. I just say the Swiss with the silver medal there on the bronze medal side. It is Germany that comes out and beats the Ramsfelds of Norway in the bronze medal match, a seven to five game. Scott, you said you, or excuse me, you watched one of the semifinal games featuring Germany. I, but I would suggest, based on your summary of that game, that that bronze medal result might be a bit of a surprise. I was a little surprised. The, the thing about uh, the German team is they were taking on difficult shots that had high reward. Uh, I think they sensed, okay, we're playing... The game I watched was their semifinal against Scotland. And uh, I, I got the feeling they were like, well, if we don't do something big, like we're obviously going to lose. So... They took a few chances and and were like really close, just just like ticking guards and stuff, uh, which put them behind the eight ball. But uh, they had a really great, uh, really great week. 
come out and, and get the bronze. I don't know that anybody would have expected that. One of the things I noticed about uh, about the week was the pools were a little a little tough. Uh, anyway, I thought I thought that Canada's semifinal matchup was harder playing Norway than the the second place team in the other pool crossing over and playing uh, whoever they played, which I can't. Uh, so I, it was I just sw- Sweden it, but, uh, Germany was the other match. Yeah, so like Sweden Sweden had to play Germany and I thought, oh well that's gonna be easier for Sweden than than Canada playing Norway. And little did I know or did I expect both of the third place teams came through and won yeah. and got into those semifinals. So uh and then obviously we get the, the top teams in each pool making the final. So it sort of shook out the way you'd expect on that front. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to look, too, at the results from the two pools because we talked about it when we looked at the the preview of this that we thought, well, maybe Group B is maybe a little tougher because it has both Scotland and Canada in there, and they kind of lap the field. Scotland doesn't lose. Canada only loses to Scotland. So everybody else is automatically given those two losses uh, from those two games as a result. And then it was kind of that battle for third place. So you had Germany, the Americans, Hungary, was in there for a little bit. Australia got off to a tough start, come back to four and five. So you were looking at that, uh, those pools there. Uh, do you have to answer that, Scott? No, I, I don't know uh, who it is. I kept my <laughs> ringer on because usually my sounds come through my earphones. But ah. I guess when it's a phone call, you don't get phone calls much nowadays. You really, you really don't. Uh, so anyway, uh, when, when you look at the those teams... Between the Germans, the Americans, the Hungarians, maybe they're not quite as strong as whoever was going to come in at third place in Group A when you had, obviously, the Norwegians get it, Italy and Japan both at six and three. But I would argue that the bottom of Group A was perhaps weaker than the bottom of Group B. So overall, I think the strength of the pools was even if you sort of look at them top to bottom. You just have a bit of a top heavier group in B, maybe a little more balanced throughout in A, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Let's, uh, Scott, talk about the Canadians real quick. Jocelyn Peterman, Brett Gallant, they go through eight and one, but as you say, lose in that crossover game. But I don't know, man. I, I've I've not really been the biggest believer in Jocelyn Peterman as like a top, top, top level player. She's obviously a, a high level player, but what she did on Friday, and I've I figured out why I think that it's a ridiculous reason. And I recognize it's a ridiculous reason. I figured out what my bias was and good for me for doing that. And I'm going to try to overcome that moving forward. But what she did on Friday or Thursday, excuse me, that was a free clinic for anybody who happened to be watching. Uh, that game on Friday where she made two just insane shots in that game. Yeah. It, just incredible shot making, uh, you know, breaking the hearts of American curling fans everywhere with that uh, long angle raise uh, perfectly, perfectly placed, uh, not thrown too hard, swept well, managed. What a, what a great, uh, a great shot and apologies to our American friends for the destruction inflicted on them by the, the ice cold Jocelyn Peterman. Yeah. Just stone cold The The second one where she makes that, that crazy angle run 
from a, a shot that mm-hmm. as you're watching it, if you only watched the highlight of it and it's out of her hand, you're thinking, why do they have a highlight of her throwing it away? Uh, she's throwing it into <laughs> yeah. the boards. Like, well, this isn't what you're supposed to do. And then she makes it from a stone that really was, you know, eight inches away from being out of play and on the boards. It's just a remarkable uh, control of the angles. And what somebody said to me, I think I think it was Glenn I.Y. Crowis said what was stood out to him about that shot was just how quiet they both were throughout. Like no real urgency mm. in the line call. Just like, oh, wait's good. Line looks okay. And then they make it and there's no big cheer. They're just like, yeah, yeah, come, yeah of course. Just yeah, like, of course yeah. we made it, obviously. Yeah, we were going to make it. We told you we would. And we did. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, tough week, tough way for them to end the week with that loss in the crossover game. But overall, I would say a very good week for them as we look at uh, the results. Certainly, uh, eight and two overall, nothing to sneeze at there. When we look at the relegation round, Turkey and New Zealand win a combined one game. Uh, so Turkey one and eight, New Zealand goes zero and nine. So they are relegated. And then in the crossover relegation games, it was Finland and Spain who lose those games. So they also will be relegated and have to qualify again next year. Yeah, not a real big surprise, I don't think, for anybody that watched all week. So you know, they'll try their best to get back for next year and uh, go from there. Yeah. Now, one of the teams that was in the game, the relegation game, was England, who I picked to make the playoffs. So uh, the Fowlers, uh, personally disappointing to me. Uh, I thought yeah, they had a chance. I don't think they played that bad when you look at some of the peripherals around them. They didn't play terribly, uh, but obviously not not good enough. Not good enough. No, no, no. Yeah, a tough week for them. They they would have expected to do better themselves. Yeah. All right, Scott, I wanted to talk about the power play in mixed doubles. We have talked on the show before about how conversion on the power play is so important towards success in this discipline. So I went through and I crunched some numbers from this week to assess whether or not the power play is as important as we might think it is, or perhaps maybe it's too important or skews the results too much. So I'm going to use this parallel, if I could, to the Big Brother show, which if you don't watch it, good for you. You shouldn't watch it. It's not a very good show, but I watch it. It's mindless summer entertainment. But there's a an analyst, Taryn Armstrong, who talks about all the twists that they do on the show, where they want to keep the contestants on their toes and try twists. And one of the complaints he often has is that the twists that are added to the show simply allow the people who are already in power to retain that power. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in looking at the numbers, I'm wondering, does the power play simply allow the teams that are already better and better positioned to just enhance that advantage that they already have over the other teams? Whereas the intended purpose is to allow comebacks. But I'm going mm-hmm. to suggest here based on the numbers perhaps it actually inhibits comebacks. Yes. Defensive use of the power play is always uh, something that we talk about. And uh, I'm interested to hear what the numbers bear out. All right. So this, uh, so what I've done for 2022, 
I went through and I looked at the top three teams in each pool. So in pool A, that's Switzerland, Sweden, and Norway. And in pool B, Scotland, Canada, and Germany. And I've compared them to the bottom three teams in each pool. So Korea, Finland, New Zealand in group A, England, Spain, Turkey in group B. And I've gone through, looked at their power play ranking, their shooting percentage ranking, as well as the points scored on power play, overall points scored, and hammer points scored. So okay, I want I want to sort of walk through this a little bit. So the lowest ranked playoff team in power play ranking was Sweden, or excuse me, Switzerland at eighth place. So the six playoff teams were first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and eighth in the power play ranking. So that would make you think, hey, if you're good at the power play, you are going to make the playoffs, right? That seems like a, a natural response to that, right, Scott? Stands to reason, yes. Now, shooting percentage ranking, though, the same is also true. Germany was the worst of the six playoff teams in eighth place. So again, you had first, second, fourth, fifth, sixth, and eighth. So that's kind of a wash. Shooting percentage, power play rank. I don't know if there's really any correlation there. Okay, yeah. Who was the third place shooting percentage team? I don't know. You'd have to look that one up. Okay. I don't have that in front of me here. Out of curiosity. So let's look at the actual number of points that are scored then. So for the whole event, the average number of points that were scored on a power play was 1.13. More than one, which you would expect on a power play. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. not quite one. I thought it'd be closer to one and a half, but 1.13. Okay, fine. That's that's not bad. For the top six teams in the field, they were scoring on average on power plays 2.2 points per power play. Well, 2.15 if we want to get really specific. So mm -hmm. basically one point more than the average in the field. Yeah. Whereas the bottom six teams on their power play, they were scoring 0.52 points per power play. So about just over half a point less than the average over the field. Okay. So you could say, well, yeah, sure. The top six teams are better. They're going to score more points. That makes sense. So that I thought, yeah, that's, that's probably a reasonable thing to think that, yeah, the, the better teams are better. Yeah. So... Here's where I had to go the next step. I had to go, or I didn't have to. I chose to do this. I went and looked at how many points does a team score when they typically have the hammer or when they had the hammer the rest of the week. Right. And that's the better comparison. So are you scoring more yeah, or fewer yeah. points when you have the power play or the hammer? That should be a pretty good, a pretty good estimate of the skill that the power play or not the skill, I guess, the advantage that the power play has. So I went through for all these teams and I counted the number of ends they had the hammer, the number of points they scored while they had the hammer. And not surprisingly, again, the teams that finished in the playoffs did a lot better in terms of scoring and converting with the hammer. So Scotland was scoring 2.2 .2 points per hammer, Canada 1.7 Germany 1.5, uh, 
Sw- Switzerland was 1.6, Sweden 1.5, and Norway 1.7. So you're looking at at least in worst case to make the playoffs of the playoff teams. You're, you're scoring one and a half points per hammer, which is pretty good. The best of the non-playoff teams was Korea at 1.1 points per hammer. Uh, everyone else was down under a point per hammer. Again, which you would expect. Yeah, yeah. Because if you're converting a lot of hammers, you are, uh, you know, probably not going to finish last. So you, you I, might, I look. You might also say though that those teams would have fewer hammer opportunities. Well, they should have, but no, they should have more because they're not scoring as many points, right? They're giving up more. No, steals. that's what I mean. That that I mean, the top teams would have fewer hammer opportunities. Right. Yes. Which actually doesn't. Which maybe even makes work it out. more impressive. Well, like if you look at it, it everyone ranges between the fewest was actually Canada total hammers, uh, yeah. 30, 30 ends with the hammer, up to Germany. Now Germany played twelve games, so they have more games to play more. than Canada, uh, but they had forty five ends with the hammer. So everyone, every one of these twelve teams ranged between thirty and forty five ends with okay. the hammer. Okay. So, so if you take the averages of the top six teams and what they scored with the hammer versus power play. They scored on the power play an additional 4.439495 points for the power play. So when they had the power play, they were adding just under a half point to their total scores relative to what they would do with the hammer. Okay. The bottom six teams, when they had the power play, we're getting negative 0.39548 points relative to what they were doing normally with the hammer. So the power play for those six teams was actually negative relative to what they were scoring without using the power play. So if you Mm. put these two together, you're looking at about 0.8-ish of a point difference that the top teams are benefiting additionally with the use of the power play than the bottom team. So if the idea is that it's supposed to help bridge some of that gap or allow for comebacks, it's actually doing the opposite and exacerbating the difference between the top teams and the bottom teams based off of this year's usage. Hmm. Okay. Here's my first thought on that. That could it be that power play usage is not being optimized by the teams at the bottom of the standings in that mm-hmm. they save it for when they're already losing by a lot and are trying to harder to score multiples, which in turn doesn't always work because they're not as skilled. It's certainly possible. Uh, no question about it that they could be, pushing it further and further if they are trying to. The other thing too is the bottom teams are using more power plays than the top teams. Canada only used four power plays. They only had four power plays over the course of the week, whereas the, well, the bottom teams use them every game. The top teams, not always. Yeah. And when you don't have as many hammers, like the top teams, right? You don't have as many opportunities to use your power play if you're stealing every end. Right. And if you're up too. So it's, it's, you know, it, it kind of throws it a little bit. The other thing that throws this off too, I, I should say, is New Zealand. That uh, New Zealand in their nine power plays 
was actually negative two on net points. So they gave up more points on the power play than they scored. So that does throw it a little bit in terms of their relative uh, strength of usage. But of the six bottom teams, five of them were negative in this stat. So they were doing five of the six teams were worse scoring with the power play than without. The only team that was better was Finland, and that was 0.15 points better. So not not a, a huge difference. So I, I don't know. Maybe it is just a small sample size. Maybe it is the situation of the game deserves a better look. But I think on average, though, if the bottom teams are suffering from the power play or can't optimize it or can't use it, if again, if the intended purpose is to allow for closer games, this is not actually accomplishing it, or at least didn't accomplish it this year in practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And using it the way that it's being used is also not uh, not helping things. No. So, so then... Uh... Let's come up with, Sean, what would be some ways that the power play could either be more, more aligned with its intended use, and we're assuming that that, that it's intended for that, uh, because why else would it be there? And then the other one is, should it still happen? So I will say that a better way to have the power play be deployable is to say you can only use it when you're losing mm-hmm. and see what happens with that but i but again i but don't know if that necessarily change things solve the problem yeah because the te- again the teams that need the extra points are doing worse with it than without it like they're they're hurting themselves by using it or at least they're not taking advantage of the opportunity given to them relative again to a normal end with the hammer so yeah. by, by giving by saying you have to use because I, I don't think this is a defensive thing because Again, the top teams using it defensively, that would hurt what they're getting if they're using right. it defensively because then they're playing defensively in the whole end. Maybe they're only going to score one or two. Or again, one, there, yeah. there is the end here and there where they're using it defensively. The other team goes really all in to try to, to steal and then they crack a, a four or something. So that, that does happen and can skew the numbers here uh, for sure. But I don't know if the idea of defensive usage versus aggressive usage is going to skew the numbers that much. Okay. So then, yeah. Uh, do, do we need this? That's what I wonder. I, I don't know if this is necessary. I, I don't know well, if it adds anything in terms of comebacks. Like we, we did see in one game that the Canadians were up six, nothing. Uh, I think it's when they played the checks and the checks used it and scored three or something. And yeah, that I, in theory gets them back into the game. But honestly, like it's it, it can also be anticlimactic. Like, oh, game tied. Oh, wait, yeah. the team with the hammer has the game tied in the eighth. The team with the hammer has the power play. Like, oh, okay, all right, game over. Like, it, yeah. I, like, I don't know. Like, there, there's, I, I, I'm not sure it, it's adding as much as we originally maybe thought it was. And I actually wonder, does it actually detract a little bit from the game? Yeah, it could, it could be that. Um, the other thing is, Sean, no, you, nobody's forcing any team to use the power play, right? So mm-hmm. if you're a team that finds, hey, you know what? We're actually not good at drawing to the wing. <laughs> yeah. So we're not we're just not going to use it. Yeah. And and this is an, an interest this is an interesting study. Uh some definite food for thought. 
uh, but it's also a very small sample. So yes. you're right. It would be nice to go back uh, in past championships and, and in some of the spiels around uh, around the tour and just see how those numbers bear out. Yeah. And, and I, I think too, of someone like John Morris, who kind of uses it exclusively defensively. And, you know, I, I think yeah. of someone like that, I mean, he's obviously studied it a lot, has a really good feel for it, but also would know all the analytics behind it. And yeah, is, is it actually as useful as an offensive tool as we think, or is it really better as a, as a defensive tool? And or, or even worse, exacerbates the existing difference between the teams. Because I, I did go and look at 2021. I didn't do the yeah. full numbers of it, but I looked at the power play ranking versus the final standings versus the shooting ranking. And in 2021, the top six teams in shooting percentage were the playoff teams. Whereas in terms of power play ranking, the lowest of the playoff teams was Switzerland at 14th. Italy made the playoffs. They were in 12th on power play ranking. Uh, Scotland was 7th. Uh, whereas you had a team like China missing the playoffs. They were 5th in the power play ranking. Hungary was 6th in power play efficiency. Uh, they finished 8th in their pool. We're playing a relegation game last year. Yeah. Whereas you know shooting percentage has a much greater correlation uh, in terms of the 2021 one. Uh, and about the same this year in terms of where you're going to end up. So ultimately, it is a make or miss sport and a make or miss event. Yeah. But I just don't want to have something in there that enhances the difference already. Like if you're already making more shots and you're more likely to win, why add something that maybe increases that or decreases the likelihood of a team that is shooting a little worse from maybe making a comeback or maybe making a game closer. That That's all that occurred to me as I was going through the numbers. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. And uh, I'm interested to hear what other people think. Uh, you know, has anybody else thought of this? Uh, or is this brand new stuff? We're breaking ground, Sean, on the Game of Stones podcast. I'll have to see. I'll, I'll maybe I'll reach out to Gertz. Uh, see, I don't know if he's how deep he's gone into the mixed doubles numbers, but you know, he sure. certainly uh, has a good sense of them. And maybe, maybe there's something here, or maybe there's something here I'm missing too, uh, in, in terms of the numbers, but th- this is wh- what I was able to put together. So I thought that was kind of interesting and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next quad. I'm sure there will be some new additions or new rule tweaks to mixed doubles, just as we've, as we've seen in the four person game. So, uh, and next year is the time to do it. If you're going to do anything on a test run basis so we'll we'll see what happens particularly with the maybe qualifying events or tour events on mixed doubles as they increase uh, there's going to be more and more opportunities i would not object to having a a mixed doubles slam either or at least a mixed doubles component to a slam at some point uh, and allow the slam to do its thing where they just add rules here and there and try to innovate so uh, i think that'd be nice to see Mm -hmm. for sure that'd be fun all right good work uh, sean Usually Thank I crunch you. the numbers, but yeah, uh, well done. I felt it was, yeah, I felt it was my turn today to uh, look into some of those numbers. Uh, so Scott, anything else from Geneva from the week that was? Nothing else for me. Uh, congratulations to uh, to Scotland, but uh, another one in the books. Indeed. Uh, and I'll tell you, Rona is the best. Uh, she's really good. 
so uh, that's that for the Mixed Doubles World Championship. Two events kicking off this week. One of them already has started. It's the Under-18 Canadian National Championship taking place out in Oakville, Ontario. 42 teams are participating, 21 on the men's side, 21 on the women's side. So a lot of provinces have multiple representatives there. Dean on the scene bumped into one of the teams at the CN Tower, Scott, uh, when he was down there this weekend. Uh, So kind of cool. Saskatchewan, right? Yeah, he was very excited. And uh, so I asked him if they... Who recognized who? Did they recognize him as Dean on the scene or did he recognize them as Team Saskatchewan? Presumably they're wearing their jackets. Otherwise, I'm guessing he wouldn't have recognized them. I'm guessing not. Yes. Uh, But good job by all these teams or, or a lot of these teams. The social media game out of Oakville has been very good so far. A little bit mm-hmm. of a you know, chirping back and forth, uh, the decorations in the hotel, the team seem to be decorating their doors. Uh, so they seem to be having a really good time out in Oakville. Curling Canada is streaming this on YouTube as well. I don't know if it's geo blocked. I don't believe it is because there's no television coverage. So you should be able to watch this wherever you are in the world on the Curling Canada YouTube channel, but check it out if, if it's on in the afternoon or, or night, whatever it is. Uh, these are really good players, right? This is not you know, I think sometimes the the real junior game um, really gets seen as, well, it's just like basically club players. No, these people would beat the hell out of us. And people of this age have beaten the hell out of me. And it's very awkward when their parents offer to buy me a drink after because they can't. <laughs> so, yes. you know, these, these are really me good too. players. There, there's going to be mistakes in these games. They're not going to be the cleanest games. It's, you know, it's not going to be Briar Scotty's World Championship quality. But these are going to be some really mm-hmm. good entertaining games over the course of the week. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, having it on YouTube, awesome. Yeah. All right. The other event that is going to kick off on Tuesday, I believe, is the final Grand Slam of the season. It is the Coyote Tractors Champions Cup. 12 men's, 12 women's teams are going to be participating in Olds, Alberta. Is that right, Scott? That's right. Yes. Love it. Uh, So these teams all, in theory, had to win something to participate in this event. There's going to be two pools of six in both men's and women's play with a round robin. So the round robin is back in the Grand Slam for this event. Uh, So I kind of like that. I kind of like five games in the round robin instead of the four that we traditionally got in the past. I'll just run Mm -hmm. through the teams Mm -hmm. real quick on the men's side. Nick and Dean. Bruce Mowat, Brad Gushu, Brendan Botcher, Kevin Cooey, Corey Dropkin, Karsten Sturme, John Epping, Jason Gunlickson, uh, Team Jacques. I'm not familiar with these guys. They won the Vesta Energy Classic in the fall. Uh, Team Kim from Korea, the Korean champions and the Asia Pacific Championship. And then Team Jacobs, which won their spot by winning the very coveted Sponsors exemption event. So <laughs> it's a good championship to have. Yeah. Get that uh, one on your belt, under your belt, on your uh, <laughs> trophy on your, you know, <laughs> shelf. Yeah. What uh, kind of, yeah. What kind of trophy do you get for the sponsors exemption? Probably a, a tractor, tractor trophy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this one, Sean, I'm looking on curling zone. They've got pools. Yep. I, 
I, uh, I, st- I still like hate the Grand Slam website, and so I can't find anything there. But uh, <laughs> all Canadian teams in Pool A. Oh wow! And it's it's Epping, Gushu, Jacobs, Jacques, Kevin Cooey, and Carson Sturmey. It okay. seems like a bit of a murderer's row to me. Yeah. Uh, and then in the second pool, Botcher, Dropkin, Adin, Gunlickson, Kim, and Moet, Mowet. Another tough pool. Th- these are all good teams uh, that are going to be here at this event. So, are we are we picking this one? What are we doing? Yeah, let's uh, yeah let's pick it. Uh, so again, they're going to go into the quarterfinal event here. So they're going to go from twelve to eight after the round robin, and as always eight to four to two and a winner uh we should note too last chance to see brad jacobs potentially ever at a grand slam uh but certainly that version of the team same with gushu with a very tired brent gallant uh and then uh, team botcher that's the end of them who else epping that's the end of them gunlickson like all these teams. this is the last time you're going to see uh pretty much all these canadian teams but yeah let's uh let's pick it scott uh, what do you want to do this the finals or what do we normally uh, do for, we usually do four remember. You just do okay. four for the Grand Slams. So why don't we do that? All right. And am I still am I still ahead and therefore need to go first? Or did you catch me? With yeah, the, you're the ahead. Mixed? No, you're ahead by three. We we evened up on the mixed doubles. We both got four <laughs> points out of a possible seven. So to recap, Sean, Cooey, Gunner, Jacobs, and Mao to win. Mao to win. Okay. That's uh Real uh, prediction there, Sean. Get, uh, predicting Bruce Mowat to win a Grand Slam. Uh, it's just kind of what he does, right? That's right. Um, yeah. uh, but you know what? I like Nicholas Adin to win. Okay. Give me Gushu. Give me Botcher. And you know what? Give me Co- Corey Dropkin. Okay. Drop into the playoffs. Nice. Nice. And should note too, uh, Corey Dropkin's mom was the lead on that American team that won a silver medal at the seniors. So that was one of the yeah parent things that we missed when we were talking about it in the the preview. So kind of exciting. Very good for her. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Scott, do you have the pools there on the women's side? Because I just have the list overall. <clears throat> yeah, I have the pools here. So uh, we'll talk pool A first. I, I don't have how they got there, so maybe you can cover me on that. But uh, crowd favorite, Madalena Dupont, <laughs> uh, Anna Hasselberg, Amber Holland, Jennifer Jones, Tabitha Peterson, and Sylvana Tiranzoni. Okay. That's pretty good. Pretty, that's, a pre- that's a pretty good pool. That's a pretty good pool. And then pool B, uh, Corey Christensen, Carrie Anderson, Tracy Fleury, Gim Yunji. Uh, Rachel Homan and then Kim Yunjun. Two Korean yeah, so, teams there. Yeah, so you will notice that the Olympic champions are not participating, Eve Muirhead and her team, which obviously the Olympics would have gotten them in. Uh, they are not uh, participating in this. So it looks to me like it's Team Gim that is the additional spot. They won the Boundary Ford Curling Classic in the fall. And that looks to me to be the team or the event uh, that was added to this list of, of champions. No sponsors exemption here on the women's side, uh, just on the men's side. And if that's the tip of the cap to Brad Jacobs, I'm, I'm okay with that. 
Like I'm, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I was gonna ask you who who got the uh, sponsors exemption, but uh, if there is none, there is none. No. So uh, so those are the teams. Those are the pools for this one. I am going to go Scott with Rachel Homan to win, and then give me Carrie Anerson in the playoffs along with Tracy Fleury and Madeline Dupont. You gotta, you gotta pick Dupont, right? When you're there. Got to, got to, you got to. Uh, so I'm going to take Jennifer Jones, Sean, to win uh, her last game with her team or last, uh, last go around. So, you know, uh, maybe they can put it all together and cap it off with a victory. Uh, I'm also going to take Anna Hasselberg to make the playoffs because they just won uh, one of these events. Uh, give me Sylvana Tiranzoni because they're really good at curling. And finally, sure, I'll take uh, Carrie Anderson to uh, not give up too many points to you when you inevitably win. <laughs> Fair. I like it. So, uh, So there you have it. Our picks for the final event of the season. Do we have any stakes on these, Scott? We make these picks all the time. We keep track. Are there any stakes involved at all? I mean, we can have stakes. Uh, well, how do you like yours? Medium? Medium? Yeah, medium. Uh, well, medium's good. Yeah. Medium, medium rare. Medium's good. Okay. Medium rare uh, to medium. Yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So come on over uh, <laughs> one weekend and we'll yeah. grill up some stakes. Right. Oh, Sounds you good. mean for who wins? Okay. Yeah. okay. But um, that could be the stakes. That you buy me a like, steak. Steaks are the steaks. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. All I right. like it. Uh, so there you have it. That's uh, the goings on with this final Grand Slam. I would just caution anybody who might think of watching this as like, it's a really like big deal, a serious event. This is going to be the Grand Slam version, I, I think, of the Continental Cup. Like teams, they're going to want to win, sure, and they're going to try hard, uh, but this is going to be a pretty relaxed feel. So, There's uh, a lot of money on the on the line, Sean. A lot of money. So, I, is, I take what you're saying, but yeah, you know, the money money talks. Sure, but they win money at the Continental Cup too, and they're pretty chill there too. So, yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, uh, this will be this should be a fun event. If you're out there in Olds and you're going, this is a good one to go to because of that. I think a lot of the teams mm-hmm. will be pretty relaxed and, and having a good time. And again, last time to see some players uh, in, in general, uh, not only Brad Jacobs, but the front end of the Swiss team on the women's side uh, of team Tiranzoni, Barbazat and uh, Neuenschwander. And Neuenschwander are stepping away from the game. I guess they just get tired of winning world championships. It's like when I was a teenager playing Madden. And I won the Super Bowl every yeah. time because I was playing on easy and you just get bored with it. I, that must be the case. <laughs> just get bored of winning. Yeah. they're. I mean, they're playing on easy for sure. <laughs> yeah. Making it look like it anyway. Yeah. So last chance to see some of these folks. Uh, so if you're out there, uh, check it out. Or or the, I think the TV coverage should be good. I think Sportsnet, for the most part, does a really good job. So uh, so there you go, Scott. That's uh, that's all the goings on, I think, unless you you can think of something else. Just real quickly, the World Wheelchair Mixed Doubles Championship is yes. going on right now in uh, Finland. And as I look at the standings here, the top of Group A, uh, Hungary and Italy. And at the top of Group B, Norway and Slovakia. So mm. uh, nice to see some 
non-traditional curling powers uh, at the top of the standings there. Five games into a nine-game round robin. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, nine-game round robin. Uh, so about halfway through there and uh, going strong. Uh, we'll see how the rocks play out come the end of the week. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we should have, I should have mentioned that. You're right. That's really cool that uh, this has been added to the schedule. I don't know what the process of adding a Paralympic discipline is. And I also don't know if the Paralympics are long enough to add another curling discipline in, but if possible, that would be spectacular if we could have uh, the mixed doubles discipline at the Paralympics as well. Um, but again, I don't know logistically, you know, cause whereas the Olympics are whatever the two weeks with three weekends, so that's 17 days. Plus they started before the Olympics. Anyway, you could fit all that mm-hmm. stuff in the Paralympics, I believe are 10 days, nine, 10 days. So I, I don't know if you could fit in a, a mixed doubles discipline without a, either a second venue or doing it at a, a club or, but that's not as much fun. Like you want to be on the, yeah. the, 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 you know, in the arena there, but I guess you could, I, there's nothing preventing you from starting the thing early for the Paralympics too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll see how this goes, uh, see how much interest uh, it drums up around the member associations. And yeah, hopefully we do see it uh, at a Paralympics one day. Yeah. And uh, Ryan and Jonathan, or Ryan, I guess, tweeted out how to watch it. I retweeted that. Uh, but it's it's there. It's available to be watched. Uh, not quite the typical way for world events, but you can check it out. Uh, the streaming is not you know fully professional with all the camera angles and all that but it is available that uh, if you want to check it out uh, you can so that's a, a good start for the first time that they're running this event that it is going to be uh, available to folks who want to to want to watch yeah for sure for sure so i think that's going to be it for this week uh, thanks so much for listening everybody if you have not yet please do subscribe wherever you get your podcast do likes ratings comments all that good stuff Helps other people find the show, keeps us growing here. You can also head on over to GameOfStonesPod.com. All of our past episodes are there. Plus, if you click on the merch tab, all the merch is there with all proceeds from the T-shirts to Food Banks Canada. Everything else proceeds to the Sandra Schmirler Foundation, and we are matching all of those proceeds, so you can check that out. You can also follow along on social media, at Game of Stones Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to let us know what you want to hear on the show, Game of Stones Podcast at Gmail dot com scott we did hear from jerry as i mentioned from team belgium Mm -hmm. one thing in his email too that he mentioned in our family connections not only did we miss the dropkins uh their skip the team for team belgium uh john robiard is the father of melanie robiard who is an olympian and a world and euro gold medalist playing for andrea shop so uh another connection yeah that we missed. Yes, that name does sound familiar. Yeah. So, uh, and she was over there, uh, there in Geneva, watching and supporting. So, uh, really cool that all these family connections were there, uh, seniors uh, at the seniors event. So, uh, uh, thanks, Jerry, for pointing that one out, and uh, just love to see it. It really is a family sport at this point, right? Like, I guess it's always been this way, but that's how people tend to get into it. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, we want to broaden that out certainly to have more people come to the sport but it is cool to see these uh, the generations of great players in the sport absolutely absolutely all right uh, so that's going to be it for this week we'll be back with you again next week as we shift into our summer schedule 
of probably Wednesday releases. We'll sort of announce that next week, though. But we're going to shift into the more steady summer schedule. So looking forward to some fun ideas over the course of the next few months. So please do stick along with us. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final...